morning again. Turn, if you have your Bibles, to the fifth chapter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Last week's text revealed that the influence of the false teachers in Galatia was not only causing these believers to fall away from grace by trying to justify themselves through doing the law, but it was leading to division and infighting that was so prevalent or violent that they were eating each other alive, if you will, with their words in verse 15. Let me read that again to you. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The false teachers were pushing the law as a means, as the means for these believers to become righteous. But what Paul has been teaching is now being proven. The law does not lead to righteousness. If it did, these believers would be loving one another as themselves. There wouldn't be any gossiping or backbiting. But that is not what was going on. The focus on the law had not made these people more godly. It had turned them against one another to the extent that they were now biting and devouring one another, being consumed by one another. Legalism causes Christians to eat each other alive. If we look underneath the gossip and infighting and division and discord within any given church, we are guaranteed to find that the root of it all is a lack of belief in Christ alone for salvation. We're guaranteed to find people that believe they have to contribute something in order to be made right with God. People who think that they're righteous by their works and such people are as insufferable as they are divisive. Nothing, beloved, nothing damages a church more than legalism. The more we try to be righteous by obeying the law, the more selfish and self-absorbed and violent towards one another we become. Right? A lack of security and stability in Christ and depending on ourselves makes us double-minded and unstable and everyone else pays the price for it. In our text this morning, Paul will continue to build on to this idea. The law, the law produces the fruit of the flesh while the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. Beloved, Christianity is about substitution. It's not about morals. We are thinking correctly of our Christianity when Christ is at the center of the whole thing. Christ and Him crucified, not me and me improved. There's a difference. Jesus and what He's accomplished must be our focus or the damage that is done to ourselves, to one another, and therefore our witness in our community is immense. In fact, back in verse 4, it's fatal. Jesus is not primarily an example to be followed. He's a deliverer to believe in. While focusing on the law will fuel our flesh, walking by the Spirit who seals us for redemption will result in a life that glorifies God. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read Galatians 5, and I'll read verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Hope you caught that correlation there between flesh and law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. So everybody's safe. Nobody's a sorcerer, right? So we're all safe. But then enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all on the same list. And things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, breathe on me. I need you, Father, more than I needed you last week, more than I needed you yesterday. I need you today. Father, I pray that you would watch over me as I preach. I pray that you would watch over everyone who is here to listen. Enable them to hear the text. Father, may your Spirit do His work in our midst. May Christ be seen and may you be glorified. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 16, but I say, so verse 16 is the answer to the problem raised in verse 15, right? But I say, in contrast to verse 15, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the biting and devouring of one another that takes place in the church is first of all people gratifying the selfish desires of their flesh in the way they talk about each other. So here is how you keep then from being consumed by one another. You walk instead by the Spirit, not by the flesh. This is an issue of what motivates our lives. And Paul says, quit relying on the flesh to enable you to live righteously. Which by now we realize, as Paul saying, stop trying to use the law to make you righteous. Look at yourselves. You've been doing that and you've become cannibals with your words. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Beloved, we cannot become righteous. We cannot glorify God with our lives, with our walk, as Paul says here, by trying to find in our flesh the power that is necessary to keep us from sinning. Right? We, you cannot mix flesh and spirit and end up with righteousness. It doesn't work. It is not God in me. It is not the Holy Spirit in me. It's not even 99 the Spirit, 1% me. We can't walk by the Spirit using the flesh. We can't do that. These two things are opposed to each other. They don't mingle. They can't mingle. In fact, rather than the flesh, our flesh ever becoming something that can be turned to fight for us, 
it is only ever working against the Spirit to keep us from doing the things we want to do. It's your flesh that talks to you this way. Our flesh will lie to us. Let me help. Let me help buckle down. Get more serious. Make some more commitments. Because it knows that's how it will get its power back. It's lying to you. It's lying to me. That's a tactic of its war against us. Remember, our flesh, according to the Apostle Peter, is waging war actively against our souls. This is one of the tactics it uses, our own flesh uses against us, so that we will stop trying or wanting to walk by the Spirit, because that's the way we will glorify God. If it can get us back under the law where the flesh cannot please God, it will win. Look at verse it knows the way to win. Your flesh, my flesh, knows the way to win is to make us think we have to somehow figure out how to be better. That's the flesh talking to you. Christ has made you perfect. That's the flesh talking to you. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Do you, do you see that? When Paul is talking about gratifying the desires of the flesh, walking by the flesh, he means specifically living under the law, which is what they're doing now, which is why they're biting and devouring and consuming one another. The reason they are gratifying the sinful desires of their flesh is because they are trying to become righteous again by living under the law. Right? Pushing rules, pushing law, magnifies the flesh, there are spiritual reasons why churches can't seem to find harmony. Why if you talk to anybody that's been a part of a church for any length of time, the stories of the fights and the division and, and all and the splits and all these things, there are spiritual reasons for that. Right? And it's always, it's going to find its foundation, its ultimate cause in a lack of belief in the gospel. It re- I'm not making this up. This is really what the Bible is showing us. Is it that Paul doesn't care how Christians live because we're under grace? No. It's that Christians keep trying to become actively righteous by using the law instead of just walking by the Spirit by faith, living by faith, not by sight. And it's a disaster. We are led by the Spirit. We're not under the law for anything. For anything. The law is not over us for any reason whatsoever or to help us accomplish anything. It can't. In fact, as Paul is saying here, the only thing the law can do in the place where the Spirit resides is encourage us to gratify our flesh. Again, not because the law is bad, but because we still have flesh. Notice that our flesh keeps us from doing the things we want to do now that we're redeemed. Living under the law stifles the voice of the Spirit. In our lives, we live in a new era where the Spirit now marks us irrevocably as God's child. So the law cannot help us ward off the desires of the flesh. It awakens them. It fuels them. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. So, in other words, here's the fruit that lets you know someone is still living under the law, still fueled by their flesh. It's evident when that's the case. It's obvious. Here are the kinds of things we'll see. Look at the second part of 19. 
through 21, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, in the context in which Paul is writing here, when someone is trying to do the law to be righteous, there will not be the fruit of the Spirit. There will only be the fruit of the flesh. There's a pretty standard argument against what Paul is teaching in Galatians that says, and we've talked about it a little bit before, but you know, what if, if, if we don't have the law, how are we supposed to know what's good or bad? And Paul is saying, duh, it's obvious. The works of the flesh are evident. You, you and I know what's wrong. Right? We know when something comes from the flesh. It's self-evident. Right? We, 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 we do this to ourselves. How am I supposed to know? You know, if, if I'm not telling you each week five different ways to improve your marriage, how are you going to know to improve your marriage? What are we supposed to do in our marriage? Well, you, you could trust the Spirit to enable you to listen to Ephesians 5. But that's not enough, is it? No, it's a, my, my marriage needs more than that. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Right? He is sufficient. He is sufficient, beloved. We know when things come from the flesh. And he lists some of the examples of it in verses 19 through 20. It's, it's, it's evident. It's self-evident when something is coming from the flesh. And it's just as evident what comes from the Spirit. What is being produced in someone or what is coming out of someone who is living by the Spirit and not under the law, not under the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. So do you see that? the This is the antithesis to the works of the flesh in verse 19. This is the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And then he'll go on down in verse 25. We'll get there shortly to tell us again then. If that's the case, if that's the fruit of the Spirit, then live, walk by the Spirit. Just like he did in verse 16. Why? Because the law fuels the flesh which produces what is in verses 19 through 21. And we might say, well, you know, I'm not trying to be justified by the law. I just want to obey some parts of the law, the good parts of it, the useful parts of it, because I think it's the right thing to do. Now, if you think like that, though, what have you done? You've done what he warned against back up in verses 2 through 4. There is no just obeying some parts of the law system that is available to us for righteousness. We must use the law as the means by which we're made right with God, so we have to be perfect, right? Or we must reckon ourselves dead to it to trust in Christ alone for salvation. But make no mistake, Galatians is very clear. There is no using any of it as a means of justification, as a means to become righteous. Because, as we're discovering here, all it will do is produce a lifestyle that eventually proves we haven't been saved because we don't trust in Christ alone. The only thing that does save. Look at the end of verse 21. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they don't have the Spirit, which means they aren't justified. And Paul gives no quarter here. right? It, it, again, it isn't just the heavy-hitting sins on this list. It isn't just the sins that are easy to boycott because we don't personally struggle with them. It's all kinds of things. It's things like what's going on in verse 15. It's enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and dissensions and divisions and envy. Sounds a lot like many business meetings in a church. Yeah. The justified have the Spirit. They are an heir of God by grace through faith. They do inherit the kingdom of God. So does this verse mean that if you have done any of these things ever in your life, you will not go to heaven? Well, no one wants to say that because we've all done something on this list, right? We've done something on it. We've been somewhere on it. So, okay, so maybe it means if you make doing one or some of these things the pattern of your life, you won't go to heaven. Beloved, there is no benefit in trying to measure yourself by this text. None. And that's not its function here. Even if I were to say, as long as these sins aren't the pattern of your life, you'll still inherit the kingdom of God. All I've done is create a moving target to try to find security. I mean, how many times do you have to do something technically for it to be considered the pattern of your life? Right? Does that mean like, you know, you do something for three months straight, but then you have a month off where you don't struggle with it. So is it, is it a pattern of your life or not? Like, like, you see, you see what, when we take the text and add and start saying, okay, and you add on to it, it becomes completely subjective and imprisoning and burdensome, right? In Galatians, burdensome is not the point. Freedom is the point, right? So we, we don't want the moving target. You know, well, I, you know, I, I committed adultery once in my life, but I'm, I, I don't think I'm an adulterer. I don't think I could be considered an adulterer. Surely you have to do that more than once to be considered an adulterer. No, Paul's point here, beloved, please hear me. His point here is not to undo the whole letter now at the end and send us all back to the measuring stick where we look to our works, our behavior, to know whether or not we're justified. When we bump up against the scary verses in the Bible, don't forget the other verses. Don't forget the other verses. Either, here's what we know, either God forgives, justifies, accepts us, adopts us, and makes us righteous the moment we believe, and keeps us that way by His grace, or no one will inherit the kingdom of God. Because if this verse means that if you do any of these things, if you've ever been jealous, if you've ever lost your temper, if you've ever gotten drunk, if you've ever worshipped something more than God, you're going to hell. Or, if it means that after you get saved, you do one of these things too much, which again, when is that? If it means that, that if you do them too much, you're going to hell, then the question before us is, who is going to heaven? Who? Right? Who? So we aren't playing games when we say we need to understand the end of verse 21 and interpret it in light of the rest of Galatians. The point here in this text 
is what the flesh produces when you walk by it for righteousness and what the Spirit produces when you walk by Him for righteousness. Paul is talking about what a person believes will justify them. And what we've learned very clearly in Galatians is that if someone has the Holy Spirit, that means, that is the sign that they are justified. Galatians 3, 2-3, 4-6, 28 and 29. They have eternal life. They're an heir of God by grace through faith. That doesn't get revoked when we fall in these areas. We live lives of repentance then. Right? That, that, that's the mark of the believer here. The, the, we live lives of repentance because even though we have the Spirit, we still live with our flesh. And beloved, I ask you, what's the alternative? Well, I, you know, I just think we need to try as hard as we can. Try hard means nothing on the scales of justice. Right? There's no other way to be righteous but to trust in Christ alone. There's no other way. Paul's categories here are flesh and spirit. The issue is how our behavior shows what we're trusting in to make us right with God. And if we never stop trusting in our flesh to make us right with God, we're not a believer. Where there is only flesh, there will only be the fruits of the flesh. There will never be the fruit of the Spirit. Where there's only flesh, the unbeliever. But where there is also the Spirit with the flesh, even though they're opposed to one another, there will be the fruit of the Spirit. Again, there's no call here to measure it, no call here to evaluate one another. Why? What will that lead to? Biting and devouring and consuming one another. There's walking by the Spirit, that is, there's living in Christ, and there's walking by the flesh, which is outside of Christ. That's what Paul is identifying here for us. Good 22 and 23 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, you know what's interesting here? There's no command here to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that? There's no command here to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the text. That's not what Paul is talking about. These are not commands. These are statements so far. There are things that are just true about the flesh and about the Spirit. The Spirit inevitably produces its fruit, and the flesh inevitably produces its fruit. So, live by the Spirit, which is living by faith, not by works, not by sight. Don't live by the flesh. Don't try to be righteous by using the law. Only those who are under the flesh, under the law, do that. So, that's why they will not inherit the kingdom of God, unless they repent and trust in Jesus against the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the last part of verse 23. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law that prohibits or keeps the fruit of the Spirit from being produced when He is present. 
like there is a law that keeps the fruit of the Spirit from being produced when the flesh is trying to do it. There is no law that prohibits the Spirit from producing His fruit because He's the one producing it and not the flesh. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 is a statement. It's not a challenge to do something. It's a statement of what is true. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, I grew up being taught that that meant you could get rid of your sin nature and never sin again. That that's what that verse was telling you to do. And I've, I've talked before in Wednesday night Bible studies. I've talked probably in here that, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't do it. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't do it. I couldn't ever become sinless. There were like 15-minute increments where I got pretty close. But I mean, it, it, that, that's, that's not the place or the point of the text here. It's a statement based on what Paul has been saying here. Right? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? You've got to remember the whole letter now and the way Paul has talked up to this point. We've seen crucified and fle- we've seen it. We aren't using the flesh to produce the fruit of the Spirit is, is its point here. We've crucified those. Those have been crucified. We are relying then on the Spirit by faith in Christ to produce His fruit in us. We've died to having to justify ourselves through our obedience, through the law, which is the flesh motivating that. We're dead to that. Paul is saying, believe the gospel, walk by the Spirit, and He will take care of the rest. Where the Spirit is, His fruit will be produced in us because He is doing it. There's no law prohibiting the Spirit from producing His fruit in those who belong to God. The minute we try to produce it, we've enacted the flesh, and now we can't possibly produce it. Do you understand when you read this, how precarious it is? There's this, you're either gonna walk by the Spirit, or you're gonna try to live by the flesh. The life of faith here, this is where the rubber meets the road. Right? We're going to have to live by faith. We're not going to be able to live by sight. Or we're going to work against ourselves. The passions and desires of our flesh, including the ones that still want to obey the law to be righteous, that still think that's the way you become righteous, they've been crucified. Because we belong to Christ. You see how that works in light of verse 21. Christians, don't let verse 21 scare you. Right? If, if, if you're an unbeliever and you do not, you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation to be your Lord and your Savior, verse 21 should scare you to death. Make no mistake. But if you're a believer in us, what is true? What do we know? By the time we get to Galatians 5.21, what do we know? The desires that cause those things in us, They've been crucified with Christ. Verse 24 is reiterating chapter 2. It is no longer I who live. Remember, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So verse 21 can't be talking about what the believer does or doesn't do is what determines whether or not they inherit the kingdom of God. Christ is living in the believer's place and he will not fail. Rather, 
If I'm under my desires, under the flesh, under the law, as the means by which I'm trying to be justified, which is what this letter's been about, then no, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if I am under the Spirit, if I have received His seal of justification, I am promised, irrevocably promised, to inherit the kingdom of God. So what is the command? In light of all this, again, it's in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Yes, that's the way. Live by the Spirit, justified believer. Live by the Spirit. He's working. He's producing His fruit. He has sealed you. He's guaranteeing that you will receive your inheritance. Stay right there. Stay right there. Keep in step means... Remember what it means that you have the Spirit in the first place. That means you're justified. That can't be revoked. Romans 8 is an unbreakable chain. There aren't any justified people that won't be glorified. Right? So we have to reckon with all this. Keep in step with what the Spirit being in you means. What He is doing in you. Don't turn from Him to any other means in order to glorify God with your life. You be a tree who finds its life in Christ, He will produce the fruit. But Tony, with all this grace talk, what's, how is any work going to get done? I mean, right, I mean, how can you motivate people if you can't scare them? Right? If you can't pressure them, how do you motivate people? How, do you, how will any work get done? God's work will get done. God's work will get done. What God wants to get done will get done. His word won't fail. Now, our idea of what should get done, there are no promises for that. There are no promises for that. So do you see it? That's where the rub comes in, in the life of the church, isn't it? Do you see how divisions creep in at exactly this point? You know why we recoil often from too much grace, whatever that means, in the church? Because we don't trust grace to produce the fruit that glorifies God. We trust our flesh, our contribution, in order to do that. And so what happens? The works of the flesh become evident in the church, just as they had here. Rather than the church living in the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 15 happens, right? Look look at verse 26. Look at where this beautiful text instantly goes by way of implication. Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So this paragraph that we've gone through this morning circles back to close up the point he made in verse 15. Right? That's, That's its function here. Where does conceit come from? What would make people in the church conceited? What would make us want to provoke one another and hurt one another? What would make us envy one another? Where everybody got the gift for free, where would envy come from? Right? Not staying in step with the Spirit and what He is doing, but rather focusing on us, ourselves, and what we are doing. That will not 
lead to righteousness. It will not lead to peace. It will not lead to harmony. God will not be glorified. The fruit of the Spirit will not be evident among us. And it must be. Where the Spirit is, is the fruit of the Spirit. So much that is done in the body of Christ is simply the result of fleshly desires and we refuse to yield this. We refuse. We refuse to see that as the problem because we cover it up, right? I'm just trying to serve and honor God. But it's flesh, not spirit. When it's the spirit, when the spirit is motivating you, what is the fruit? Verses 22 and 23. So it doesn't matter. You can say, oh, "I feel led to do this. I, I do this, do this, do this." All, all right. What's where, where's the what is the fruit? What does it look like? What did it cause? When it's the spirit, verses twenty-two to twenty-three are the fruit. It's guaranteed. Where those things are not, it's not the spirit. Flesh begets flesh, and furthermore, flesh is powerless to stop flesh. It is spirit that produces the fruit of the spirit in the church. What if the mission of the church, what if the goal was, let's just make sure we keep in step with the spirit. No matter what that costs my personal desires and preferences, I think that's the only way anything else, including the Great Commission, which is the calling of the church, I think this is the only way that can actually be obeyed. Walk by the spirit. Beloved, the Galatians fell because they didn't remember rule number one about guarding the good deposit entrusted to them in the church. The enemies of grace never look like the enemies of grace. If they did, we wouldn't let them in. The churches in Galatia would never have let these men in if they looked like the enemies of grace. The objections to God's grace always come cloaked in piety. Always, right? They have to. I I, I think one of the criticisms I've heard the most, I guess, often to what this kind of preaching is that it's, it's cheap grace. The old cheap grace ploy. Beloved, grace isn't cheap. It's free. So it's actually much worse than the lover of the law for righteousness thinks it is. Am I saying that God takes our sinfulness lightly? God forbid I ever say that. His son was crushed and killed by God's wrath for our sins at the cross. God hates sin. But that's just it, beloved. Our sin has been addressed, believer. And it's finished. It's finished. You want to know how to cheapen grace? Mix it with the law. Mix it with effort. Mix it with behavior. Now you've diluted it. Right? I, I, something came out this week. This, I, I, by bringing this up, I'm not celebrating this. I'm not happy about this. I don't even want it to seem like I'm gloating. It's not the point of it at all. Several years ago, uh, this would be, man, 1997-ish, 
a book came out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye by a guy named Josh Harris. And that was the book that kicked off in the evangelical church in America what's called purity culture. Right? That you, you make the promise. You know, you have the ring. All this purity culture. And then he wrote not even a hint about the dangers of lust and how, what you can do to, and all these types of things. And boy meets girl. And then stop dating. He wrote stop dating the church. And he and his wife divorced this week. Wait a minute. How, how can you focus that much on purity and your marriage crumbles? Right? Beloved, we, we, aren't, we, don't, we don't listen. Right? This is, that's, that's three, they have three kids. That's a marriage. Like I don't, I don't, I don't mean like I hold anything above this. I don't mean that. I mean, how did it get there? If if you spent your entire minute, he was a pastor, still is, a pastor of a very big church in in Canada, right? How how do you get there if you're focusing on purity and focus? I mean, how many marriage conferences do we have to have before we realize they aren't helping? Right? Just you ever, you ever thought like. Let's just start, let's just bring up problems people didn't know they had and talk about how to fix them. Let's just make the husband less godly in the eyes of the wife. Let's make the wife less godly in the eyes of the husband and just pour on him. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. Well, you know, here that doesn't lead to righteousness. People think you're crazy when they come to you for marriage counseling, and and the answer is, we need to trust Jesus more right now and believe in the gospel. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's got to stop. What? What? Yeah, but she's got to no. I mean, I, again, we've heard that for years. What are the marriage statistics now? How's that playing out? We 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 don't we don't want to. We again, it's faith versus works. That's the fight here. That's the fight here. The more you, if you plant a seed in the ground, if you go out and dig it up every day to look at it and see how it's doing. It's never going to grow. Right? There is no law against the Spirit in your life to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Walk by Him. Keep in step with Him. Make Him and His work what you believe will make you righteous. Here's the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus will forgive all of your sins. Every single one of them. If you come to Him for forgiveness, repenting of your sin, He'll forgive you of all of them. And Jesus will give you all of His righteousness as your own if you come to Him repenting of all your effort and righteousness to make yourself acceptable to God. And by this, by Jesus, by His work for you, you will have eternal life. You will have peace with God because He will justify you. Not based on what you have done, are doing, or will do. But based on what Jesus has done, continues to do through His Spirit, and will do by completing the work He started. It is finished for all who believe. It is finished. For you who do not, the work will never be done. And it will never be enough. Ever. Trust Jesus Christ to be saved. Jesus has provided His church with the means for these things. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you imagine a church like that? He's provided us with the means for total freedom, total peace, total harmony. And the more we try to regulate our own and each other's walks, the more damage will be done. Look at the text. You who believe this is cheap grace, right? We're not taking it seriously enough. Fine. You show us how to take it seriously enough to please the Holy God. Because obviously, you wouldn't be saying that if you didn't have, if you weren't assured that you don't treat it cheaply, right? What does it look like to take grace seriously enough? Or I wonder, like, we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. I hear people, you know, we all say things about if you're really a Christian, what it really means to be a Christian. I just Does everybody live up to their own standards? Right? I mean, does everybody live up to their at least their own view of what it really means? Right? And if you say, well, well no, not perfectly, then you know what? We're all in the same boat. We need a Savior. Do you believe that you will be saved by your effort not to take advantage of grace? Do you believe you'll be saved because you took it seriously enough? Or do you believe you'll be saved by Jesus Christ? And if your answer is, I believe I'll be saved by Jesus Christ, then what in the world is the objection for? Right? What's really behind it? What is that that little pop-up of now? Now, now, where does that come from? Because I don't think it comes from the Holy Spirit. To say the phrase, cheap grace, is to cheapen grace. To turn it into something that's less than grace. Grace is free. Don't label it cheap. Don't label it something it isn't. It's free. Right? We, we take these ideas that we have and we lump them onto God. Right? So, like, and again, we, we talked about this before. And I know there are abuses. That's not what I'm talking about. But generally speaking, you should, like, like, you should be thankful that you're on food stamps. You, you, you should, you should act like this about it. You should, you should treat it this way if you're on welfare. And yeah, that translates. You know, you, you got that for free. You should be more thankful for that. You know what that does right there? That's backbiting, dissension, division, biting and devouring one another. Right? It's, yeah, it's it's free, and that nothing again. That's what makes it so offensive. It's really free. We're we're trying like we try sometimes to like bait and switch. All you have to do is believe, but you better do this stuff, or you're not really. Yeah, that's that's bait and switch. It's not honest. It's not honest. The thief on the cross is not an anomaly. He's not an anomaly. It's not why he's in the Bible. Just believe. The Holy Spirit where he resides, and he resides in all who believe, he will be bearing his fruit. If our desire is truly to glorify God with our lives, we'll stop trying to measure and live by the law and employ our effort, which is our flesh. That's what that is. Your sweat comes from your flesh. The sweat of your brow is you trying to earn or even to recognize this gift, it's a gift. 
We'll bathe in this grace if we want to glorify God in order to actually keep in step with the Spirit's work in our lives. Cheap grace. What's the alternative? What saves? Again, that's not an answer that gets qualified. What saves? Grace or works? Flesh or spirit? Qualified grace is cheap grace. That's diluted grace. Christianity doesn't revolve around the unfinished work of the Christian. It revolves around the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we make that our focus, we'll be in step with the Spirit who is in us, and He will take care of the rest. Remember, the yoke of Jesus is easy. He lightens the load. He doesn't make it heavier. Imagine trying to earn what salvation is. Imagine it. That would mean you think you you have it quantified how much grace you got to save you. Right? That's why that's why things don't get done. Because we, yeah, I've 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 given my time. I've done my duty. Right? Grace scares us to death. If it's grace, we're owned. If it's a loan, once I pay it back, I'm free. Come, sinners. Come, poor and needy. This is for you. Come to Jesus and be saved. Come to Jesus and have rest. It is He who begins the work. It is He who will complete it. Only believe. Only believe. Let us walk by the Spirit, which is what it is to live by faith. The front will be open this morning if you want to come and pray. For any reason at all, I'll be here. If you'd like to join our church, if you want to be baptized, if you are in need at all, you're more than welcome to come. Let me pray, and then we'll sing and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the power and sufficiency and beauty and perfection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Shepherd, our King. Father, we desire to glorify you, Lord, so let us walk by the Spirit. Let us trust you to produce in us that which is pleasing to you and die to our flesh's desire to play a role and have some skin in the game. I pray that everyone here, believing and unbelieving, would look to Christ that those who don't believe would trust Him for the first time, and those who do would find renewed comfort in who He is and what He has accomplished. And this I ask and pray in His name. Amen.
All right. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. Just a friendly reminder to you, we do meet on Sunday nights at 6.30. We're going to start a brief uh, little series tonight through some of the parables of Jesus. It's one thing to talk about him. It's another thing to let him talk about himself, to hear it from his mouth. So I'd really love for you to come and be a part of that if you're able. We'll be back here at 6.30 tonight. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life and breath the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation, Father, how we praise you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for every single person and family that are a part of it. Lord, I ask for your peace and protection and guidance by your spirit to go with every single one in this room and let us gather together once more safely here or all together on the other side of the Jordan. This we ask and pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, everyone.